0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Hailing Frequencies Open. I'm Melanie, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Carrie and David. Hello. Hi. Hi. Tonight, we are going to discuss the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, will Always Have Paris. It was directed by Robert Becker and written by Deborah Dean Davis and Hannah Louise Shear, And... As a prominent guest star, it is um, the guest star in this particular episode is Michelle Phillips of the 60s hippie band, The Mamas and the Papas, famous for the song California Dreamin'. She is also the mother of China Phillips, who was in the band Wilson Phillips, and who is now married to Billy Baldwin. Younger brother of Alec, Alex, the other Baldwin fool. Nobody other Baldwin I was actually thinking. <laughs> I was double. actually thinking Stephen, but I think Stephen is younger than Billy. There's a, there are a, quite a few Baldwin's. There's like four or five of them.
1: Looking there, are.
0: Up, there's, there's a lot. Um, anywho, this episode is. So let's get into it.
2: Before you go anywhere, the
0: episode starts.
2: Hold on. I'm One second. still
0: sitting down. I haven't gotten up yet.
2: So, this is the first episode that was affected by the Writers Guild strike of 1988. So, there were issues with this episode because the climactic sequence at the end wasn't finished when they this episode went to film so this episode was actually delayed had to stop shooting for a week because they had to re finish writing the end of the episode without any of the original any writers because they were all on strike so That
0: actually makes lots of
2: sense. So what ended up happening was Rick Berman and one of the other producers sat on hold or on a phone call with um, uh, Hannah Louise Shearer during the strike. She refused to write lines during the strike. Berman would then just suggest dialogue, and she would give opinions, hmm. and then. <laughs> Another producer, Robert Legato, was taking handwritten notes and then those notes are what they did.
1: They became the lines?
2: Yeah.
1: At the end? Well, okay. they
2: became They're the writing lines writing. and they became like the staging of everything. Yeah. They became yeah. all of that because they didn't have anything. like well, no wonder that didn't that didn't was really weird. <laughs>
1: yep. Yeah. yeah, that it makes a lot of sense.
0: And the l- end is just...
1: Yeah, it just had this unfinished, unpolished ending.
2: And Legato ended up directing all of that because the director of the episode, Robert Becker, had never used effect shots in anything that he'd directed before, which is why I find it weird that they hired him to direct
0: Star Trek. Yeah. I'm going to blame Paramount for this one. I usually blame Roddenberry, but I'll blame Paramount.
2: Hannah sure has also gone on record as saying that she hates this episode because she feels like what she and Deborah Dean Davis were writing was they were trying to write a really romantic episode and then they just kind of in her words toned it down like 75 percent so
1: mm-hmm.
2: That's where we're at going into this. Hmm. Okay.
0: Well, thank you, David, for the the behind-the-scenes info. So the Enterprise is on its way to Serona 8 for some vacation. But uh, Captain Picard has decided that he is going to start his vacation a little early. And he's doing so in the least vacation-y thing I can think of. Because if I'm starting my vacation early, I am programming the holodeck to to be at the beach or something with a drink with an umbrella in it. Captain Jean-Luc Picard is in a fitness center room fencing. That's not vacation. That's exercise. (laughs) Yeah. At least in my mind, some people may think that this is a, this is a vacation, but it's exercise. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to my brother, Randall, who fenced in college. And he gave me some info on the type of fencing they are doing. They are um, fencing in the saber style. There are three styles of fencing and they are fencing saber. Um and they are having a match. It seems like the match stops abruptly because of what happens, um, but they have two what are called abouts, which are two sets of how you get to make points. So actually fencing and then one person got a point and then fence again and the other person had a point. The lieutenant that Picard is fencing against got the first point, and Picard got the second point, and he um, used his own little special style to do so. Uh, so, it was very interesting. My lesson for my brother about fencing was very interesting, but, yeah. At the end of the match, they salute each other and have a small little conversation, and then... They salute each other again and repeat the exact same conversation. They both look at each other and the lieutenant asks the captain, what was that? Captain Picard uh, contacts the bridge and he asks if the bridge noticed something weird and Riker says, yes, they had some kind of time loop. Picard says he's on his way. And he leaves without saying goodbye to the lieutenant, throws his red red towel around his neck, and takes off. He comes under the bridge and immediately asks Mr. Data what's going on. And um, Data reports that the moment in time uh, appeared to repeat itself for everyone. Geordi compares it to deja vu, and then Morph chimes in and says they're getting reports from every deck saying, Everyone across the ship experienced the same type of time loop distortion. Riker um, asks, excuse me, Picard asks Riker to figure out if anything else happened in their area. Originally, I thought Picard was asking Riker to see if anything historically had happened in that area of space like that, but later on, it makes it clear that. Picard was asking Riker to reach out to any planets or ships in their vicinity to see if any of them experienced it in real time like they did, not historical. Okay. Um, and then okay. as, excuse me, as Picard, as as Riker is looking up this stuff, Worf announces that they are receiving an emergency transmission and Picard asks him to play it. The message is already in the middle of it, so we hear some numbers that are ending, and then we hear a, ma- a man's voice say that his name is Dr. Paul Mannheim. Picard immediately has a reaction. He, and it's it's a it's subtle, but it's it's telling, and it's seemingly emotional. His reaction at the name Paul Mannheim and not only does he have a reaction counselor Troy has a reaction to his reaction she immediately looks at him and is like okay I'm sensing something um finally we get to see Diana use like actually use her power on a crew person other than trying to get into Riker's pants like, she's using it like, okay, I'm getting a strong reaction from the captain, not really sure what's going on, but it's strong enough for both he and I to react to it. Which I like. I'm not I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying it's a good thing, because we need to see Deanna do her job. The message goes on to give coordinates. Um, it says that they're having an issue. They don't really know what's going on, but, um, Picard says to Geordi, hey, plot that, plot those coordinates and go there. Geordi's like, cool. Um, he sends them on. He engages them. I think he tells them to go to warp seven. And they go on their merry way. He says, I must go change. Okay. Geordi tells them it's going to take about four and a half hours to get to the location of the coordinates they were given. Picard gets up to go get on the turbo lift and Diana, right on his heels stops him and it's like Captain I need to speak to you in private. And he's like hogwash you can talk to me right here on the bridge in front of everyone. And she's like okay listen. I'm a paraphrase. She says listen you had a very emotional reaction and I don't know what the hell is going on I'm not gonna pry, but you need to get that under control before we get to where we got to go, okay? And he says, well, what do you suggest? And she said, think about it. Figure out what's causing it and maybe try to get over it. And he says, okay, thank you. And he takes off. Then we have a scene in which for me i i appreciate the scene because i would have thought about this later um i don't think it was necessarily needed but we have a scene of picard back in the exercise room cleaning and putting his saber away and um seemingly thinking taking diana's advice and thinking about whatever his emotional reaction was to and he puts the saber away, and he turns to walk o- to walk out. The next we see him, he's boarding. He's boarding a turbo lift. already changed, showered and changed. He's getting ready to go to the bridge, but he asks the computer how long they have until they reach their destination. They have about two hours. So he says, take me to the holodeck instead. And in my mind, I'm like, yes, he's going to go to the beach. But that's not what happened. He gets to the holodeck. And he programs something very specific. He programs a cafe in Paris on April 12th at 1,500 hours, 3 o'clock, 22 years prior. Um, Just for me, because I had a job where I had to learn military time. So I know what 1,500 hours is. So the fact that he said 1,500 hours and then he said 3 o'clock, Kind of irritated me because <laughs> I'm like, you don't, know, you know, you could, you didn't have to say both. You, there was no reason to say both. The 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 tacking on of the three o'clock was was exclusively for viewers who don't know military time. And if you were going to do that, there's no reason to make it in military time. He could have just said three o'clock local time. He didn't have to say fifteen hundred hours three o'clock. There was it was like it makes no sense. It was stupid. It was irritating. I think, by the way, I think everybody should learn military time. It's a lot easier. I also know military time. Thank you. So you agree with me? Everybody should learn military time.
2: I didn't say that. I just said I know it. I'm going
0: to take that as a yes. No, I'm going (laughs) to take that as a yes. Um, He steps into the holodeck and he's greeted by a maitre d' who is lovely. Takes him to a table and he's like, I want that specific table right there. And, and Maitre D's like, sure, whatever. We're here to serve. Uh, Picard looks out over this beautiful vista scene, which is um, includes a very hazy overview of Paris and the Eiffel Tower. I don't know why it was hazy. It, it should have been a clear day, but you know, whatever. We actually know why later it was hazy she does talk about it but it didn't have to be they could have cheated anyway picard sits down and he speaks to the maitre d for a brief while and he basically tells a story about he was supposed to meet somebody there a long time ago the maitre d assumes that the woman didn't show up and he's like picard doesn't say this but the maitre d guessed that picard is in fact the person who doesn't show up and picard says that he was scared he didn't he didn't go but he sits the maitre d says he's gonna bring him some something to drink and after he walks away picard notices two young women who begin to argue because one of them um is waiting for a man to come and her friend is like he's not coming (laughs) he's not coming we shouldn't wait anymore he's not coming and the other girl's like no he's gonna be here just give him more time friend is fed up she gets up and she leaves picard is being a creeper staring at the girl it also doesn't help that she is wearing a two-piece dress that's falling off of her so you have a young like probably 22 23 year old beautiful woman whose two-piece dress is like hanging off of her and this creepy old man in his 50s staring
1: 40s (laughs)
0: 40s at the time okay 40s at the time not helpful (laughs) her yeah so So. um and she says do i know you he says no you remind me of someone and then they begin to talk about she thinks that she's a fool because she um is waiting for this man who's never gonna come and picard's like you don't know why he's not here and you never know and And in the middle of picard getting mushy he says, why am I indulging myself? And he gets up and he he storms out of the hollow deck. At this point, what do you two think is happening, is going on?
1: Well at this point, I feel like we're getting an inside to Picard's emotions finally, like the soft gooey center that is Captain Picard. But he doesn't allow himself to go there fully. Because then, like you said, he's just like, oh my god, what the hell am I doing? And gets up and leaves. And you're like, wait, what? More. Tell us more. We want to know about what you did 22 years ago or didn't do 22 years ago. I mean, I thought that was, I mean, this episode altogether is just weird and I don't particularly like this episode, but it's nice to see other character development for Picard other than just the command part of his life.
2: I have really specific questions that involve- <laughs> Of course you do. How in the world does the holodeck know what that cafe looks like on that particular day at that particular time period when it is not historically significant?
1: That's a good question.
2: Because him telling it all that stuff means that he's never set up that holodeck program before. hmm So the holodeck had no idea what this was. So it has no visual
0: reference. I'm gonna stop you right there. And my, my counter is Google. <laughs> <laughs> you can... Put you can find the name of a cafe in Paris right now and put it in Google and look for a street view and you Google will get a Earth. street view of that cafe. Yes, Google Earth. And most places, most uh, ca- like restaurant. I, I've never been to Paris, so I can't say there. But uh, most restaurants have pictures on their websites or people have taken pictures inside of them from yelp and put them on yelp or put them on their instagram or put them on facebook and then you have the weather if he, if it said if he said april 12th whatever the star date they can pull up weather.com figure out what the weather was in paris <laughs> put together google it figure out, pull some images real quick, throw it all together in a soup, and then open up the holodeck. So I understand what you're saying, but my answer is Google. Yeah, Perfect. I'm not, really, I'm really. not,
2: I'm not <laughs> buying any of that for this particular context, um, because the Give computer- me your
0: address right I, now, I David. I guarantee I could, I could street view you right now and look in your window.
2: <laughs> no, um,
0: don't do
2: it. My could for one. Um because Yeah, your window, windows
0: close, they can see that.
2: You can see me through the forest, <laughs> can you? Um, <laughs> um but the issue is that it's I don't have an issue with them with the computer being able to put that cafe together. I'm talking about like that specific moment. Because mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'll go with Mel on, okay, fine. They've got historical records and all this stuff. But there's no way that exact moment, they're like, oh, we've totally got pictures of this cafe from 3 p.m. on this star date with these people 22 years later. No one's kept that. Okay.
0: Here's- I okay, I can agree with you on that. Here's the thing. I don't think that the people that were in the cafe are historically accurate to that set setting. I think those are fill-in-the-gap people that the computer put in to to supply ambiance. Yeah. To the scene. I think the mater D is, is, wasn't, I don't believe that that was, in fact, the actual meter D that was working that day or ever worked at that place. I don't think that the girls that were arguing were really there. I don't think that, I, I don't think that those people who were, who were used to propagate the space were historically accurate. I think that the computer used them as gap fillers. So if that's what you're saying, then yes, I agree with you. I don't think that that is historically accurate.
2: And that's that's really what I'm saying is like, that's not, you know, plus he admits he wasn't there. Like he didn't even show up. So it's not like right. the computer can go, oh, well, maybe he's talked about it. And I can look at his records to see what it looks like because he didn't. The one point I will give though is uh, the matte painting of Paris looks fantastic. Uh, I also appreciate the fact that they added um, a little uh, CGI flying cars.
1: The little shuttles.
2: (laughs) The little shuttles flying around. I can appreciate that. Um, It would make sense because they would be there in this particular time period. Also, the Mater D is the only character in this series in Next Generation's entire run that is a French character that actually speaks French. Aha! So enjoy it while it lasts because this is the only time that happens.
0: Which brings me back to my long-standing point of Jean-Luc Picard should
1: not have been a Frenchman. Yeah. Perhaps
2: Perhaps not.
1: Perhaps just an Englishman who grew up in France.
2: But I will say that other than holodeck moment at this point this is my feelings because of this episode nothing has happened that's true picard is acting weird okay there are nine thousand various reasons why picard would be acting weird especially because this is early day early early days picard this is still season one we've only done 22 episodes of him so we don't there's there's no normal baseline for him Not yet. Nor is there for any other character. Um, So for me at this point, I'm just like, nothing has happened. They're going to go rescue somebody. Okay. Well, let me see what happens when they go rescue someone.
0: Well, they're off. They're off to see the wizard and rescue somebody. Um, So Picard leaves the holodeck and he walks back onto the bridge. I want to point something out. The lighting on the bridge in this episode is weird. um because it's low if you go back there are two there are two different scenes where Picard is walking onto the bridge and the lighting is low it seems like the lighting was set for a nighttime so Uh for those of you who don't know when the when um the bridge is on nighttime hours so the computer keeps a clock and Mm -hmm. um the main crew that we see generally is working during the day. And then they have a skeleton crew that works in the evenings or the overnight shift. When that crew is on, the lights around the ship dim in order to mimic nighttime. They're not completely dark, but they're not as bright. They're very dimmed. Now, We see this in the original series. There's an episode in the original series where at night, the the ship is very dark. Even Mm -hmm. in engineering, the ship is very dark. Um, In this series, the one time off the top of my head, I know that you can see this and you can actually see it change from night to day is Data's day. Data works the night shift, the overnight shift. And uh, when, Riker and the day shift comes on the lights go up so the bridge becomes brighter now in this episode there are two scenes and this is one of them where Picard walks on to the bridge and the lights are dimmed and I don't know if that is significant or if that was just a weird lighting choice that was made or if I am just seeing things because I'm crazy uh, it I could didn't be literally- all three it could just be the third one
1: yeah, I didn't notice it personally but I'll have to go back and see that again because you you're right when they switch to switch shifts uh that's what happens cuz the ship will automatically uh dim the lights to mimic nighttime so you know humans their body chemistry and visual acuity and stuff doesn't uh get um all messed up because if it's light for too long then your brain goes all wonky and you're not going to sleep normally like you would we need to sleep at night
0: ask the people ask the people in in australia in alaska about that they Mm -hmm. have to do do special stuff in order to keep keep their body clocks yeah keep the body
1: that's it the body clock Um, yeah
0: during the summer and the winter months Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was just something that I noticed. But um, Picard walks back onto the bridge and Riker informs him that two ships have reported that they also experienced the time loop in real time. One of the ship's captains, or one of the captains from one of these ships uh, called it a hiccup, which Riker seemed to be confused about. Um, And then Data, being Data, states that that's not a correct analogy, and then he goes off on a data rant, and Picard has to stop him, because he's data, and he does that from time to time, and nobody else cares, Um, you know. Uh, But they reached the the destination, and there's nothing there. Geordi's like, "There's, there's nothing here. These are the correct coordinates, but there's nothing here. Warp says, they're getting a new set of coordinates. He reads the coordinates out and Jordy's like, whoa, that's really remote. That's like way far out. Where is this doctor taking us and why is he not, why did he not give us the proper coordinates from the beginning? Um, They're still confused. They don't know what's going on, but they know it's an emergency and and so Park says, enter the new coordinates and go there. The new coordinates are uh, on a planetoid called Vandor 4, which is in the middle of the binary system. And um, the binary system has two stars. One is a star star and one is a pulsar star. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know the difference, but they're different. You know, if you know the difference, then let's know. Do um, you know the difference?
2: No, I was just going to say one flashes.
0: Yes, because pulse, pulse are. You're, you're smart. Just um, keep pointing to it. They get to the planetoid, and Picard uh, has war for open hailing frequencies, and he begins to do his usual introduction scale of this is Captain John Picard of the USS Spinnerbrag. It's startling, da But he stops himself. He does not say his name. He says, This is the captain of the USS Enterprise, and everybody kind of looks at themselves like, what the, what, what, and yes. uh, She's very grateful that they're there. She says uh, they're the only two people on the planetoid. She's having convulsions. She doesn't know what to do. And um, they have established that there is a force field around the lab or around their location. Picard asks her if she can take the force go down, she says yes, he says do it, and they beam the two people from the surface of the plantoid directly to the metal. Picard informs Dr. Crusher that um, people are being medical medical emergency directly to Scythe, and he gets up and says I'm going to be in Scythe too, he goes to leave, he stops before he gets up the lift and says Breaker and Data come with me. They all go to the turbolift, they go to medical. No one sick. And beamed onto the floor are a woman, Michelle Phillips, and a man who's convulsing. Dr. Fisher and her nurse come over to the, um, the medical wall of the computer. And they come over, help them out onto the bed, and immediately start trying to make what's wrong with them, um, getting on the card. Riker data coming into the door and card um announces himself. The woman turns around, and this is my favorite part of the whole episode. She turns around and she says, If nobody knew that Beverly Crusher was secretly in love with him, this scene tells you. Because that red head turned around so quick, I thought she was gonna snatch a hoe. Oh, I really did. Like, I thought she was gonna pull her palm away off her head. And then, that's so cute. She, she <laughs> turned that's around reality.
1: like oh. <laughs> Just daggers. Oh, so funny.
0: And it might have true because I'm the doctor. And then Riker and Dale look at me and like, whoa! And Riker smirking is like, oh, bomb Chick wah-wah, because, you know, that's how he thinks. Um, Picard is kind of flustered because you know, that's what he is doing basically this whole episode. Um, everybody's kind of puzzled because she clearly is not just an acquaintance or just a classmate or co-worker. Clearly there's more. She did call him by his name. His actual first name. And no one calls him. There are very, very few people who can call him by
1: his name that way. Um like everybody's very intrigued about this situation and they want him to spill the tea. Spill that Earl Grey tea. Yes. <laughs> so
0: Picard introduces Breaker and Data to the woman whose name is Jenny Semenheim. Um, Picard asks her to sit and to answer some questions and they go into Dr. Crusher's office and he, um, you know, they start asking her questions about what's going on where everybody else went and she explains to them that um, a few weeks before the everyone was in the same lab and that lab blew up everyone was killed they don't know what happened they don't know why it happened but, but everyone died and only her and dr Mannheimer left and now she doesn't know what's going on so that like she doesn't know why her husband is happy yeah, asks asks her if she knows the extent of her husband's work what she says, he never believed basically. She says, he never believed in what time seemed to be. His experience, experience were all about time, and they explained to her what's been happening with the time loops and how far off these distortions are happening, light years away. There's only the repercussions of whatever his experiments are. Um. She goes on to say that Dr. Mannheim became more and more obsessive with his work and seemingly more paranoid in empty fields and multiple security features, even to the point where she was locked away in a safe from whenever he began a new experiment to be protected from whatever was going on. So she knows what she doesn't know. She was basically seemingly held hostage
1: by crazy-ass husband. That's what it felt like to me, Kale. He's like, you yeah. seem like you're in a situation you don't want to be in. Yes. Blink twice if you need help. <laughs> don't worry, we've tranquilized him. He can't hear you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then she begins to speak in a more personal way to Captain Picard, uh, which makes him visibly uncomfortable. And Dr. Crusher is walking at that point and she is as much as Picard is irritated, Crusher is, um, me, as much as Picard is uncomfortable, Crusher is irritated. She once again is like, I'm gonna have to stab this bitch. And then sort of yeah. Crusher will not have it. Um when Picard and she wouldn't send to a team security functions she can't help to pass the security functions but she knows that the security functions will not allow anybody else to go down um, dr question comes in says that um, mrs manheim should get some tests on her just to make sure that she isn't suffering from you know whatever her husband is she's like cool she scuttles off and but Dr. Crusher tells Picard and the room at large, which is record data, that she doesn't know what's wrong with Dr. Manheim. Clearly there's something wrong, but she doesn't know what it is, and she's gonna need time to figure it out. But her matrix, he has a couple of days left. So she got you know what's wrong with him. He will die in a couple of days. Um so you know that's uh, the next seen they are they mean Riker, data card are walking through a corridor and they enter a turbolift. Or they're they're talking and walking through a corridor, they turbo lift. They're talking about the situation and um, um Data um, informs them that the time loop has expanded out further to the Ilocon system. I'm gonna be really honest, unless somebody gives me a map of the solar system that shows where they are and where the Ilocon system is, I don't care because I don't have like a measure of like reference. You know what I mean? You can't tell me, oh, it's expanded out farther to this
1: random place. I don't know how far away that is what I need are landmarks (laughs) exactly
0: exactly like I've never been to Washington you both have been to California so if I were to say hey it's from Disneyland to Universal Studios you both know about a rough estimate of that but if, I were, but, but if you were to say to me, it's from David's house in the city David lives in to Spokane, I've seen that on the map, but I don't really know what that is because I've never been there to feel it or to see it in. But even the map gives me be a better reference in this random place in the solar system. hmm Away before, now it's tens of thousands of light years away. Don't tell me what system because I'm not going to remember. And if you don't know that system in the future, I'm not going to remember that you
1: about know that system before. All right. Like, I need to know, right. hey, we're on the ship. We're at coordinates, whatever the hell the coordinates are. And from there, how far away is it? From the ship, it's like what? A couple light years, maybe? To this next system, if we were going
0: going at work nine, how long would it take us to get there?
1: Yes, those are things that I know. I need to know.
0: Is it going to take me a couple hours, or is it going to take me a couple days? Like that's a that's a good measurement. Mm -hmm.
1: I need a measurement of time. Yes, exactly. Time and
0: landmark. Um, (laughs) (laughs) At the McDonald's, make a left. At the Starbucks, make the right. If you pass the St. brothers, you've gone too far.
1: Like, things like that. Yes, things like that. That's how I need directions.
0: <laughs> By the way, if you ever get directions from me, it will be a combination of treats and landmarks. Because I don't know all the streets, but I know all the landmarks.
1: Oh, that, that's fine. That's perfect. <laughs> Don't tell me go five miles due east, turn right, all that. I'm like, I no, I
0: never tell you due east because I can get you due east.
1: And then we won't. If have I was in
0: trouble. a car with you. I wouldn't be able to figure it out. But like, just telling you verbally, be. We, we would both be lost
1: mm-hmm.
0: at that point. Like, listen, we're both lost. I don't. I don't know. What to tell you. Yeah. All right. So they are uh, aboard the lift. And they're still having their conversation, and then all of a sudden, the Turbolift doors open and standing outside the Turbolift are Picard, Data, and Riker. And the scene begins to play over again, except this time, we have the Golden Trio inside of the Turbolift looking at themselves, repeating outside of the Turbolift. Then in the middle of it, they, the group outside of the Turbolift notices the group inside the Turbolift and they Kind of have a weird little dialogue. At least the biggest do. Then the perspective switches, and you go from being inside of the dribble lift with them to being outside of the turbo lift with the gold material that hadn't bought onto the turbo lift yet. And it made it seem like not only did we change perspectives, but so did they. So that the group who was on the turbo lift is now the group that was not on the turbo lift, which is kind of tiny, whiny. Maybe the doctor is also on board. I don't know. Maybe this is when the time wars were happening. That's why this is all going. I figured it out. This is when Galvatrak was in the middle of the time wars. That's what's happening. I got it. All right. So. They think that that's really weird. Um, the only one who seemingly was in effect or knocked out of whack by it was Data. He, he was okay. Right grip of Card were weirded out. Um, so they get back on to the triple lift and they make their way to the bridge. We see Card in his ready room. Thinking, seemingly having been there for quite some time, they and Rekord walk in. He asks them what's going on and what they've learned. And what they've learned is they located a second lab, which is on the completely opposite side of the planet and has been completely destroyed. But they can't determine the cause of the destruction. They have been able to figure out whether there is an intense volume of energy concentrated underneath the, la- the still existing lab, but they don't know what source is or how it's being used. And then it theorizes that Dr. Mannheim must have learned how to harness the power of the pulsar and is using it to um, engage in his experiments. But Riker basically comes out and says, "Listen, we can't do anything from afar anymore. We have to get onto the plateau. We have to get boots on the ground to figure out what's going on." And Card agrees and says, "Okay, fine. Let's try it. Get your tea, your tea together." And says, "Great. I think we And We see that they're on. They're in." Um, transporter, I'm sorry, what that word was, I was distracted, um, I know I meant. They get to the transporter room and then Picard has three people, it has two people with him. Ryder, excuse me, has two people with him. They like wharf. Here's the thing I don't understand about police three. I know that the wharf is now the acting chief security officer. And I know they don't know what's going on on the planetoid. So it's okay to have a security officer with them. That makes sense to me. Here's what does that make sense. Clearly, this is some kind of scientific issue. Why not take another scientist, like maybe Jordy? Maybe you leave Wharf on the ship and you take the Jordy. Because if there's nothing to shoot, Warf is useless. But Drake J- can help David figure out the science part of it all, the tiny, whiny part. I love saying.
2: He's not worthless. He can move heavy things.
0: Yes, but so can, they. And they can move much heavier things than Warf can. Air, but, but useless I'm just but in this situation you want the science not to
2: not necessarily at least not initially because they haven't gotten a chance to clear the scene because so right now they just have their word for it so because they can't scan it so you have to send your security person down first to secure it then he comes back and then you send the further engineers.
0: no, and so I would go along with that, David. That would make sense if Jordy had come into the, uh, the um transporter room with them. If Jordy had come in and they had said something like that, like, Okay, we're gonna go down, we're gonna make sure that the security stuff is off and you're down what you know when you down. That would have actually make a no lot of sense. That's not what they were doing.
2: Listen, um, Jordy was taking a break. Fine. Jordy was
1: taking a
0: break.
2: You know, he, was taking space
1: a nap. Nap. he was promised a space vacation space. and didn't get it. That's true. Nobody so
2: he's taking a space nap in his space hammock.
1: Ooh. Okay. be like? Um,
0: so oh, the. Engineer, who the captain refers to as Chief, and I would like to squash that right now. This guy shouldn't be a chief of anything because he almost killed them. And I will say this again if Chief O'Brien had been in the transport room, this wouldn't have happened because Chief O'Brien is the best. At the transporter and everyone else pales in comparison, clearly. So, this uh transporter chief, now O'Brien, beams the down, and he cannot get them to fully beam to the plantoid, something is stopping them from um coming back together reconstituting, I don't know what it's called but for the, the progress is, is being stopped um, Picard he mentioned uh, security the excuse me the chief transporter not Brian says that he's losing them Picard says bring them back and um he tries he tries he finally gets them back but only Beta and Riker, and about three seconds later, Worf shows up on the transporter pad. They all look around confused, and Riker says, "Why are we here?" And the non-O'Brien transporter guy says, "We almost lost you. Basically, you're lucky to be back." Um, so yeah, they can't—they can't go down to the surface. What going to do? what going to do? I don't know what are they going to do. First of all, they need to find O'Brien.
1: That's what Miles. I was going to say. Find David O'Brien. O'Brien. Find He's somewhere.
0: He's somewhere. Um, we go. work back in the city, and Doctor Manhattan immediately asks where he is. His wife. Tells us that the enterprise is the enterprise for his emergency, the stress message and he's like, I sent the message. He doesn't remember what's going on. And then he begins to ramble and says if he sees things, that he's been to some place and that he's not really here. He's floating into different places. He's on the other side. I don't know if this guy could go out of drugs or if he's having a um an out-of-body experience or what it actually kind of reminded me of that god awful episode from season one with
1: the dimension man um, oh oh the yeah. lazarus one yeah, yeah. yes yeah it kind of reminded me a little bit of that mm-hmm.
0: um But he rambles on and on and Dr. Crusher comes over and she's like, can you tell us anything? He can't, he's just rambling about seeing different places and being into different places and not really being there and not really knowing what's going on. Carter comes in, this, this, this right here. Carter comes in and says, I'm Captain John Carter or I'm Captain Carter and Dr. Manheim, Mr mumbling, I'm in two different places, I'm in two different dimensions, looks straight up and, and then looks at his wife and says, is that the card? <laughs> what the hell? What? <laughs> First of all, I need to you either you're crazy or you're
1: i don't understand his reaction here either because like one i don't know when you met her and too it's like why should it matter because we find out that he never showed up to this date and um again like why are you suddenly jealous unless she's been talking about him nonstop for 22 years while she's been with you or whatever for however long she's been with this guy it's like why would you have that reaction clearly yeah she's very much hung up on him and has never forgotten like and again it's like how long were you like dating Picard before that final day that he didn't show up because obviously it must have been like a really good relationship for her to remember it you know this Far in the future.
2: I mean, right. he's he's doing his thing.
1: He's doing his Picard thing. Yep.
2: This is me doing my Picard thing.
1: Mel, you froze. It's again.
0: So, yeah, Carrie, I didn't understand why he was having a reaction, because he didn't really put some sentences together, but then all of a sudden, he's like, this, this is the back, right? This, you've been telling me about all these years, like, yeah, she can about you, like, are you mad? Are you trying to fight him? Like,
1: Yeah. Um,
0: he's- <laughs> anyway, so um, card introduces Dr. Mannheim to Data, and tells Dr. Mannheim that Data knows all of his work, uh, asks Mannheim to tell Data about the experiments. Mannheim, of course, is like, how do you possibly know all my work, and Data's like, I'm an android, which further confuses Mannheim Like, I'm an android on a starfleet ship, and he's like, like yeah, I'm but I know your work. Man, I'm like, oh, that's all outdated, and it wasn't even right. And data's like, yes, but you learned how to harness the pulsar's power and you're using your pulse power and you're using it, using it to power your experiments, Is correct. And, and I was like, you do understand basically confirming the data's hypothesis from earlier was correct. Um they tell man I get down to his lab, but they can't because of the security. He's like, I'll give you all the security codes, I'll give you the coordinates of where exactly to beam into, and you'll be able to get down there. What we need to do is hard a hard shutdown. They tell him that the rift of the station is going out further and further in it, into the galaxy. It's out of the system. That's felt like years away and Mannheim starts to freak out and says they need to shut it down, they need to do it soon, um because it's it's a bad thing. They open the crack to the other side and they need to close the crack up. Um, so Now, gone back into the other dimension. He doesn't really fall asleep. He doesn't think he's kind of like, you, like oh. you would think that he fainted, but his eyes were still open. so open. I'm not really sure what he was
1: doing. Um, I'm present enough scene, to tell you about my experiment and to be jealous of Picard. And now I'm going to go back to the nut side of the galaxy. Yes,
0: I'm going back to crazy, crazy town. Next scene, we're in the conference room. Data, Riker, and Worth. They're talking about um, what they're going to do next, going down back down to the plant plate and um, Card wants Worth to triple check the codes that I gave them because Card doesn't want anything to go wrong. Janice comes into the room and she apologizes for the interruption. She could have not They do have a doorbell that she could have waited. No, she just comes right in and is like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Shut up. Shut up. Yes, she did. You could have knocked. But she didn't. And Picard says, oh, it's okay. You were just done. And before you can even dismiss everyone, they're out the door. Riker with a huge grin on his face.
1: Of course and, he has um, the grin on his face. He's like, Captain's gonna get some captain's yeah, gonna
0: exactly. get Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um Janice comes in and she said that she knew Picard wouldn't come to her and that they have some unfinished business. Picard would I be mean, and she asks him why he didn't come to meet her that last year in Paris. And Picard, being Picard, tells her the truth. <laughs> Fear. And she wants to play a game. And says, I didn't mean for you to tell me the truth. <laughs> Are you going to lie? And she says, yeah, this is the most pointless I don't, there's no reason to play a game. This isn't Your husband is dying in the sick bay, and you're playing a game with your ex. Like This is stupid.
1: <laughs> this is some high school shit. <laughs>
0: yeah, but they talk about oh, he got, he got, he couldn't get a cab because it was raining, he went to the wrong cafe, yada, got yada, yada. She jumps in, it's all ha, ha, ha. And then she's like, but it did rain that day. It rained the whole week. And I went to start headquarters to find you, but she had already shut out. Why didn't you come see me?" And he basically gives her a list, all coming down to, he was afraid. He was afraid to make that decision. He was afraid, he was scared to go see her and say goodbye, and then go off the start. He was scared to go see her and not be able to say goodbye and not be able to go with all these things. He was afraid him, to commit. He was afraid to commit. Yeah. And she tells him the reason she thinks he didn't come was he was afraid um, that she made being with her made him ordinary.
1: Which I think there's is, truth to that though.
0: <laughs> well he does say he he basically confirms that he says, am I that transparent? And she only mm-hmm. to me.
1: I mean, yeah. Yeah, he is. It's sad. It's, it's. I, I mean, at this juncture, this like first season juncture, he is kind of transparent like that.
0: Yeah. But the, the whole statement is, it's sad, but it's also so So few people know themselves enough to be able to just be like, yeah, I know who I am. I am an extraordinary person. We don't even know at this point, Ricard's whole backstory of what he went through in uh, the academy. But he's like, I know I'm an extraordinary person, and being with this woman, even though I love her, makes me less extraordinary. In fact, it makes me ordinary, and I don't want to be ordinary. So I'm not going to go. That takes a lot of self-knowing, but it's also really sad, because you could see that he probably did that a lot. Their conversation ends and um, they're back in the middle. Dr. Crusher is looking over Dr. Mannheim and Deanna Lawson. And you know, you know was like, I'm here to check on people. And at first Beverly's like, oh, she's here to check on Dr. Mannheim. And then she's like, you are not here to check on him. You're here to check on me. And Beverly's like, I don't want to talk about it. And Dion's like, Come on, we need to talk about it. You never know. And he basically, she says, "There's nothing I can do because this woman is always going to be perfect in his mind. She's a ghost." And Dion's like, No, she's right here, and and and. Everyone's yes, but he that's not who He's, seeing. he's not seeing the person who's here. He's seeing the person in his mind, who was who he has built up to be this perfect person. And we do that, we tend to do that with people who we've loved and lost, or people who loved and lost in some kind of emotional way, but also we've loved and lost who have passed a lot of people. Well, if somebody dies, instead of seeing their faults or the things that you really didn't like about them, you you place them the picture and make them perfect, mm-hmm. and that's what everybody's talking about. To him, she was always going to be there, and there really is. I don't want to fight against that. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have that. But if you flip it around. Will always be a reminder to her husband, Jack. A mm-hmm. reminder of her husband, Jack. Yep. So she's also dealing with her own ghosts. Not the same ghosts that she'll be dealing with in later season, mm-hmm. but you know, she has her own ghosts.
1: She does. I love when Deanna does this to Beverly. Yes. <laughs> It's she crazy. does it a lot. So.
0: She does do it a lot. She does do it barely needs somebody to talk
1: to. You. Yeah, yeah. She's like, okay. And I mean, I,
0: yeah, and I love the fact that Deanna's like, yeah, I know when she needs somebody to talk to. You. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. yeah like, I haven't been around, but I know what's happening. <laughs> I've heard it's been great. Fine. Probably because Riker's a big old gossip that probably immediately told Deanna what was happening
1: oh yeah it was either that or like the emotion from her was so strong she could feel it like six decks away yeah <laughs> like yeah, I that too. right now and go talk to my friend yeah <laughs> she's having this
0: crisis having issues. i gotta make sure she's not going to commit homicide um then mm-hmm. we, we would all have to take care of any child
1: Yes, because I mean, she is the doctor, and she has access to all those drugs that could kill you. Space drugs. Space drugs. Space Gotta drugs. love the space drugs. <laughs> good to heal you, and good to kill you too. Yep.
0: So uh, we're back on the bridge. Data. Um. to the next. Will occur under, in, or, in under 30 minutes. Um, and then a crusher comes on, she um, hails the bridge and says that Dr. Mannheim is awake and he wants to speak to the captain. So the captain was like, cool. Hey, you know, like, yeah, we're, we're going to sort this thing out and we go talk to this doctor. So Carter goes down to medical and he walks in to talk to Dr. Mannheim. And Dr. Mannheim immediately after no longer flipping conditions starts to talk about his wife. And how husband he's been, and how he met her. And perfect. I did not come down, and you talk about your wife. Dr. Mannheim begins to cry, and he basically asks Picard to take care of Janice if anything happens to him. Picard, taken back, says, of course, I'll take care of her. I don't know if Picard meant, like, I'm going to marry her and make her my queen of the ship, or if he meant I'm just going to get her to a space station and drop her ass off and then peace out. Like, I'm not really sure which one he meant, but he said, yeah, sure, I'll do that for you.
1: Oh, hail the queen of the ship. <laughs> All hail the queen of the ship.
0: All hail the queen of the ship. Doctor Manheim um, says, thank you, Picard leaves. And the next we see Picard walking with Data in the corridor. And um, Picard tells Data he would like this to be a mission, an away mission of one, that he wants Data to go down by himself. And Data says, oh, yeah, it's because I, as an Android, am dispensable. And I said, hell, no, you are not. And basically, Picard said, no. Picard said, actually, the word is indispensable. You're indispensable. But the reason why I want you to go down is because the time distortion seems to affect you less than it affects everyone else. Beta says, yes, because the way I see time, I see time as linear, linear, and um, humans don't see it that way. They see it more as flexible. And he agrees to go down by himself. Picard says, you know, if we send more people and the kind of happens, and somebody gives the story that it could actually lead to more problems than we already have. So I want you to go by yourself. And David says, school, all the arrangements, and he beats down. We see data being down. This time, the chief, not Miles O'Brien, transporter guy, is being washed over by Jory. Jory is there to make sure this guy doesn't mess up again and lose data. Which great. Um, they should have found O'Brien, but you know, that's just um and being data down. Dana gets down there safely, and he immediately hails the ship and says, I'm going to make my way to the lab. As he starts to walk, um, the security system sets in and starts shooting phaser beams at him. And I know I said earlier that my favorite part of the episode was when um, Beverly spun her head around like she was going to have to cut somebody, but this really is my favorite part of the episode because... You know, you guys know how much I love when you can see the stun double in the scene. And Dave's stunt double is beautiful. Um, and you can see that, that is not data. And I appreciate what that guy is to track because he deserves it. Not the editor so much, but the stun double. After two only flips and some shooty shooty bang bang, his face it is able to disable the security function and he makes his way into the lab. Um, while he's in the lab, he explains what he needs to do. He, he tests the security and sees that they are actually correct. He has less than two minutes to do for the next time distortion. He has to be antimatter into the system. And once the antimatter is in the system, he says a specific amount of antimatter, but then he picks up a whole canister, doesn't try to like make a measurement or anything. So basically a canister, a can a canister of antimatter needs to be shoved into the machine. Um, he asked Jordi to so that he knows exactly when to put the canister into the system. He picks up the canister and he turns around and begins to walk towards this thing that he has to shove the canister in, and the time distortion hits. And there are three lists. There's one that's standing at the box where the canisters are, there's one in the middle, and there's one standing next to the system. And they all kind of talk to each other. They have to figure out which one needs to put their canister in by the time 20 the end of the countdown. The middle data says, it's me, it's me, I'm the correct data. Jory's counting down, data number one puts his canister in, then data, the middle data, the correct data, puts his canister in, and immediately followed by data number three puts his canister in. Bing, boom! Time to store stops. The system is set and data says it's done. Picard says you fixed it and data's like, no, more like I patched it. We don't know if this is ever going to happen again. So all we can do right now is call it a patch. Picard's like, fine, it's a patch, whatever. Case rest back up here. Um, we get back onto the ship back in sickbay. Dr. Mannheim has made a full recovery. Her blue pressure is impressed. All Dr. Mannheim wants is his wife, and he's right here. Um, She's right here, excuse me. Uh, Captain Picard comes into sickbay, and Dr. Mannheim starts talking to his wife about being on the other in another dimension and what he saw and he can't describe it because it was too beautiful and the words are pale in comparison and he has to get back there and he asks for how his lab is and Janice is like going back. And then like battered like battered up partners everywhere. She is not very happy about having to go back to this lab and ex- have this existence again, where she's basically kept and ignored. And he, like betterers, begins to prompt her everything and say, It's all going to be different. I'm going to do things different this time, and it's not going to be the way it was. And, da, 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 da. and she says, Okay, we're going to go back. Everybody doesn't have to stab her because she's stupid. And then they basically make out in front of the car and he just has to the stand there like, wait, Next thing, you know, uh, Counselor Troy is exiting a turtle with titties and they found at the same holiday door that Picard was at at the beginning of the episode, and Leanna goes to go in, she goes in, it's the same cafe, the same city, and um, the same D comes over and says, the captain's waiting for you, he takes over to the captain, they have champagne, Picard says, I just wanted us to actually get our goodbye. And Denise says bye, She wishes him well, and she takes it for Paris. And then she tries to leave, but the doors don't open. And she was basically like, "So much for my romantic exit, it wasn't a romantic exit. It was a dramatic exit, and you failed." Um, the Hollywood doors come into view, and they open. She leaves. But that's not the end of the episode. The card comes back onto the bridge. And he sits down. He tells Jordy uh, to plot a course to the right because they still have shore leave that they need to get to. And with Riker sitting to his right and Deanna sitting to his left, Riker says, You know, there's this little club there that makes blue concoctions. And Diana says it's across the square from Zenza's Men's Dance Palace. And both Riker and Carter, Riker with his smug smile and his eyebrows raised, and I'm like, Diana is gonna hey, go get her dog bills. Goes- and she's gonna take, she's gonna take Beverly, and they're gonna go to the strip club. <laughs>
1: Trahala- <laughs> Like Deanna and Beverly are gonna just get down on it. <laughs> get down
0: exactly. And Picard <laughs> says that the name of the club is the Blue Parrot Cafe. And then pointing at Deanna, says, "You're buying." Both Troy and her smile and the Enterprise heads off. To Serona eight at Work five. The end of the episode. So. David and Carrie, yeah. give me your thoughts, we'll start with David. Give me your thoughts about
2: this episode. I thought this episode was stupid. Um, it, what I said earlier about the script issues and all this other stuff, I think it really does this episode a huge disservice. Because in the first part of the episode, it looks like they're building up to one thing, and then half, Then at the end, they're just like, well, nope, we're not doing that. We're going to throw that all out the door, and we're going to do something entirely different, which is fine, if that's what they want to do. It's just that there's no, um, it doesn't make sense. I like that this adds the element that continues throughout this entire, throughout our time of seeing Picard which is he's really awkward around women he just is like when he hooks up with Vosh when you know he talks to Crusher later about their feelings for each other and you know anyone in insurrection with what's her name who I've forgotten what her name is right now he's really awkward he just is Even when he talks to Loxana, he's really awkward. So I like that this is the start of that. Um, It's just that this just doesn't, it feels half-baked. It's a Picard story where no one else in the crew had anything to do. So you get a little bit of Troy and you get a little bit of Crusher and you get a little bit of, but there's really no reason for any of them to be there other than Data. And the only reason they need him is to fix it. That's it. They just need him to fix it. But other than that, it's like, why was he even there? Um, so yeah, to me, it's just, it's an episode that had a little bit of potential at one point and then it just kind of, for lack of a better term, just kind of pissed it away and just didn't really do anything with it. Um, Especially because the dramatic moment at the end of the episode where Data's trying to save everyone, to me, just doesn't work. Like, they haven't built enough to make it so that you're afraid of what's going to happen where you're just like oh are they going to make it you're just like oh they'll make it it just doesn't it's just not built up so I give it a four the music's good
0: Um, what do you think about
1: like i said earlier it's not a good episode i it i don't particularly like it either and i agree with david because it was going somewhere for like the first half and then you could definitely tell it got dropped and then something else got put in its place that they didn't intend really to do and it just messed up everything up if there was something else that they were thinking of doing the potential for it was completely lost and um, I mean like I get it that there was a writer strike and stuff but um, you could have waited till it was over and then call back your writers and you know finish it properly but there was just wasn't the opportunity I guess and you know, shit happens. I got it. Um, writer strikes happen, and they need to happen because you know you need you need uh, proper pay for your work and everything to be recognized and your demands met. Um, but the episode itself, I liked that we got to know the softer side of Picard. It wasn't much, but it was a little something, a little taste of what's to come. And it, I think that it developed better as the years went on. And yeah, David's right too, because Picard is very awkward when it comes to relationships. And you see that constantly, especially with Vosh and again with Beverly. But with Beverly, it's more like um, he's not like playing with her or anything. It's like this friendship develops. And it's a it's a great friendship and a meaningful friendship. But then there's the couple of episodes or that one episode where they get um linked together and then they can hear each other's thoughts. <laughs> and then that's when shit really takes a turn. But. later. Other than that, yeah, it it was a Picard episode, or tried to be a Picard episode. And then we got that ending. So, not an episode that I think many people need to see. So I give it, actually I give it like about a three-
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Three four. Um, for me this episode it, it's like another episode that used it used a premise to get you someplace and then they got you to the place, forgot about the reason why they got you there, and then in the end, had to fix it. They've done this before, where they use, um, the the episode that I know they did it before was, um, the episode with the Space Drugs, uh, which which we reviewed a couple episodes ago. where they went there to do some scientific research and to watch this sun and the flares on the sun. And then it turned into a completely different episode. And then at the end, they're like, yeah, we came here for the sun. But since that didn't, since we got sidetracked, we're just not even going to do what we came here for we sit here for this but because all this other stuff happened we don't care about this anymore it's another thing like that they go there because of the tiny whiny stuff is happening and then all of a sudden it becomes a card episode and other than trying to develop a card more which I appreciate there was really no reason for this episode further the story in any way. They don't ever come back or encounter the Mannheim effect again. It's just a so one-off just to give like card at some point was possibly of this woman and got through my way. Okay. Whatever. It's not a story that needs to be told. Um, the writer's strike and the end not being finished makes perfect sense because the end is a broken an anticlimactic. You would think that more stuff would happen, but they spent so much time trying to force this romantic episode that they missed developing the beast storyline and in the end, the B storyline was put in there. And they finished it off correctly. The A storyline they gave a great finish. They got to say goodbye to Paris that they shouldn't have. But, like, it, 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 it was just a nonsensical episode for me. It didn't make sense. Nobody's... <laughs> only reaction that made sense was Beverly's and, and, and Riker's. Those are the only two um, reactions to anything that happened in this episode that made sense. Right, with his smile and Beverly trying to, you know, not kill people because that had to in my man. Um, but other than that, it was just really, um, there was no point. You don't have to watch this episode if you haven't. It's not going to be called back to you in a later episode where you're like, oh, you should watch it just for that callback. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. I give it like a two. I give it a two for the two moments for Crusher and her hair flipping around and for Riker smiling at Picard, he left the, the, the conference room when Janice came in and recognized the yeah. Those two moments, I got the two. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on this episode of Hailing Frequencies to Open. Please join us on this episode. And... Uh, <laughs> Also join us on social media, Instagram, and at Haley. Excuse me, Open underscore Haley. And um, you know, engage with us over there on those places. Because we're about. Thanks, and we'll see you. We'll see you again soon.
2: Bye. Uh, yeah.